You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend out As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs>
Welcome to the Houseman XP podcast, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. And uh, man, I'm I've been looking forward to doing this podcast for a long time. Uh, we're right in the height of deer season, and the conflicts are abundant. <laughs> I've got neighbors that are that are crying about dogs barking and dogs running around here. I've had to had to put the young dogs up and keep close tabs. It's pretty stressful for me, but uh, I'm. I am um, happy to have Austin Tomlin on the podcast. And Austin contacted me. Man, it's been a while back. How long has it been? A, how long was that, Austin? Was that back in the it's spring? Probably, it's probably been three or four months. It was this summer. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Austin has written a book called uh, Deer Hunting with Hounds, a Southern Tradition. And, and when I first got contacted by Austin. I was like, oh boy, here we go. It's another opinion piece, uh, justifying hounds with objective thinking. And, and my great granddaddy told me, and he's been doing this and I've been my daddy and all of us have been doing this. It's a tradition. And, uh, you know, we know how that goes. People start posting stuff or writing stuff and it's, it comes from an emotional based opinion platform and so i really didn't pick up the book it was laying there on the on the table i'd thumb through it and look some pictures and there were pictures of deer and dogs and kids and and uh, on my recent trip to new mexico then i took it with me because i was bound and determined to read that thing and what i saw was an answer to a lot of the the questions and a lot of the problems that that i have been asked and addressed and tried to do different differently with uh, fish and wildlife agencies. I mean, this thing is a masterpiece when you get into the center of that book and you start talking about fair chase. And it's a, it's a, I was just impressed, Austin. I was impressed with the work you put into it, the way that you've cited the biology, biological studies. I mean, we're going to get into all of that. So welcome to the podcast. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I've been I've been excited about this for a while now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, Austin, tell us where you're from. Tell us. We're going we're gonna to get a little piece about you and, and what motivated you to write this book. Sure. I'm, I'm from southeast Virginia. I grew up in a small town called Carsville, uh, Virginia, or in Alawite County. I do most of my hunting in Southampton County. I, I grew up dog hunting. I killed my first deer in front of dogs when I was six. Uh, I grew up steel hunting. Uh, I've hunted with the bow and muzzleloader my whole life. Uh, and uh, after, after you know, I graduated high school, I went to Hampton, Sydney. I majored in philosophy, got a degree there, and, I, and that's where I really uh, learned that I, I, I enjoyed writing. Uh, I kind of found my love for it there. And that's where the idea for writing a book about deer hunting with dogs uh, began. Yeah. You so you get a degree in philosophy. You know, I looked in. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's a it's, <laughs> it's a good degree to go into law school with. <laughs> we joke we joke around about uh, you know getting together and talking philosophy and stuff. But this is going to be this is going to be like the real deal. We're going to talk philosophy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. All that. I mean, I, I learned how to think about in those philosophy classes. They really taught me how to think objectively and and be open minded. And and I I hope that showed in the book. Yeah, it did. But, it it sure did. Tell yeah, us but more. I mean, 
after I graduated college, I'm, I went to law school. I'm currently in my third year of law school at uh, Campbell University right here in Raleigh, North Carolina. I should be graduating in May and then I'm coming back home and uh, going to join a small practice in Suffolk, Virginia and I live there the rest of my life. <laughs> you got plans, man. You got plans. Yes, sir. Yeah, but I, I wrote this book because there's nothing, there, there hasn't been anything written about deer hunting with dogs at, at, in a book. You know, I mean, there's a few articles online that you find, but in most of them, they're extremely uncharitable. They, the author has obviously never been. So they have a two or three sentence explanation of how deer hunting with hounds works. And then they provide their opinion on, on whether it's ethical, unethical, whether it should or should not happen. And I wanted to write something that people could buy and, and, and pick up and have a, at least a basic understanding of how deer hunting with hounds works. And I wanted to clear up some of the common misconceptions you see and all those little articles and, and and when you talk to people who haven't really been deer hunting with hounds, there's a lot of misconceptions. You know, the deer catch the dogs. The the deer has no escape route. Uh, I mean, things like that are, are common from people who dogs run all the deer out out of you know they run them into the next state. You never see yeah. them again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and it's easy to think that way when you've never done it or you've never read something like this. So at least if, if you can't go deer hunting with hounds, at least you can read this book now and get a charitable, uh, in-depth explanation of how it works. You know, and that, that was my goal. And I, I, I hope it's worked. Yeah. It's a, it's one of those pieces that it's a uh, very unassuming and, and, um, you know, it's, uh, I've referred it. I've actually referred some of my, uh, I'm not going to say friends, some uh, people that that I know that have some real concerns with hounds and and their effects on deer hunting. And after I read it and I, I found the bibliography in the back, I mean, I've forwarded that bibliography to multiple deer hunting experts, you know, uh, and and got there at least encouraged them to read the studies, read the book. And, and I'll be the first to admit you know, I did this for a living and in wildlife management, and I don't get excited about reading peer-reviewed fish and wildlife studies. You know, Seth, Seth Hall, I mean, that guy, he, he'll, he'll devour that thing in 10 seconds and he just can't get enough of it. And, and so my advice to the, the listeners of this podcast is I get it, man. That, that's technical stuff. Get a copy of Austin's book and read that because it puts it, you know, he, he lays it out in a way that we as houndsmen can relate to it. And I, I feel, I'm sorry for, we're here to talk to you, Austin. I just got some things I want to lay out and I want to make sure that anybody that turns a hound loose reads this book, just if nothing for nothing else for the information in there about the effects that hounds have on deer and deer movement and things like that, because I've been looking for resources like this for a long time. I'll tell you a quick story, uh, probably in the early to mid 2005, six era there, uh, you know, we were looking to expand the, the coonhound training season, running season here in Indiana. And, um, uh, we went to hearings and different things. I was with the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance at the time. And the only study that I knew of at the time was the famous South Carolina study 
of coon hunting and hounds and their effects on on deer. And I always thought, well, let me get back to the story and then I'll then I'll tell you the my my wrap up. But uh, so we go into the meeting and the deer hunters had already lined up a biologist to come in and talk about that. And they already knew which study I was going to pick. And he picked apart the South Carolina study based on um, habitat, differences in habitat between South Carolina and Indiana. And he, he really did a good job of discrediting it in our position. Whereas if I would have had things like the Georgia study, the Texas study, you know, all of these, these studies that have been done by the Journal, uh, Journal of the Southeast Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, most deer hunters don't realize we get a ton of our research information and biologists right here in Indiana base their opinions and their management practices on what they're doing in Georgia. That's a huge one. So I, if I would have had some access to those studies, then I could have taken them totally off their game and said, what about this study? You know, this is where a deer is chasing a, or a dog is chasing a deer. That's their target species. So I was really excited to read this also. Yeah, those studies were they weren't easy to find. There has there hasn't been many studies conducted specifically on deer hunting with hounds, but there has been a few and I I tried to get as many as I could in, into the book. They're just it, it's very limited on, on what you can find. But I mean, the most recent study I think was from 2003, so that's at least helpful. Um, most of the studies I think were from the 70s and 80s, which was a little a long time ago, but the land hasn't changed, but so much since then. I mean, there's more development, but there's still mm -hmm. large tracts of land where the similar behavior and uh, uh, there's, there's similar things going on with the deer and the habitat as there was in the 70s and 80s. You know, right? So I, sure. I still rely on those studies, but that's that's all I have to rely on. There's there's not many studies out there. I wish there would be some more uh, studies conducted, uh, like these older studies have been, where they focus they radio collar deer. Mm -hmm. They, they figure out where the deer's home range is before the season, and then they intentionally turn dogs loose on those deer and see what happens. I mean, th that that kind of study hasn't been conducted in 20 years that, that I've seen, you know. Well, deer, but wildlife management is a big complex thing. I mean, you got to look at habitat. You got to look at, uh, you know, the common term urban sprawl, you know, developments, things like that. But deer in and of themselves, they – you can put a house somewhere in the middle of a, of nowhere. And once the deer come accustomed to you being there, they're going to come up to the window and eat the, eat the, you know, your landscaping. We see it yeah. all the time. So deer are highly adaptable to that sort of stuff. And, and they have not evolved to the point where human intrusion and different things like that, are going to push them out just because I've decided to live here. I think it's it's something we need to be on point for, and I hate to see it as much as anybody, but, but you know, trying to say that deer have changed in 20 years or their behaviors have changed, it's totally unacceptable, and it's just not true. Yeah, and, and uh, I see it in my experience every year that I go hunting. I mean, we run, we run the same bucks all year round we'll see the same buck multiple times after being ran before it's just it's it's hard to change people's minds 
with my personal experiences, you know? Yeah. I, and, and that's where I think these studies come in, come into play. The ones that we, we do have to work with, but I, I mean, I, we run, we get bucks on trail camera all summer long. We have them on trail camera during dog season. We run them multiple times. They might not be killed and we'll see them again next year. I mean, the deer, it's, it's the dogs don't have a substantial effect on a deer's home range, at least from my experience and these few studies that we found, that's, that's what it shows. And I, I don't know. I think that's one of the common misconceptions out there they, that people think that when a dog gets behind a deer, that deer has gone, you know, he's going to be ran a country mile out of the block and never to return. But that's just not the case. The science doesn't say that, does it? The science doesn't doesn't say that my experience doesn't say that i mean everybody i've talked to who you know hunted with dogs for 50 years they'll tell you the same thing yeah and i, I we talk a lot about science-based management and we 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 talk about you know i made the comment about my daddy my granddaddy you know type thing we can't discount that that firsthand experience so those old timers you know a good hunter is a good hunter and they they become good hunters because they're perceptive and they see things around them. They know where deer are going to move. They know how that deer is going to move. They know what, what time of day that, you know, wildlife's moving. So we're not trying to discount the value and the wisdom and the knowledge of people who have been doing it a long time. What I'm trying to, to accomplish here is giving people the resources that when they're in a conversation with a deer hunter, that's trying to tell them this, they can they can have science-based facts for that that person and give them an opportunity because in this day and age uh, deer hunters love to talk about they always love to talk about science-based management you know it's it's trendy it's it's fad you know we'll all these guys talk about you know their favorite they they see their favorite deer hunting celebrity use phrases like science-based management and now all of a sudden they're saying science-based management too and and if if we can hold them to that the science is on our side it's I, a I completely it's I a completely agree mm -hmm. yeah i mean a, a spirit experience alone is just it's not enough to persuade people who've never done it um, and with the, with these studies, you can you can talk to somebody and show them. Look, here's what the science shows: deer are returning back to their home range more often than not within 24 hours after being chased with dogs. And a lot of times, I mean, specifically in one study I have here, they turned out 200 plus dogs in every hunt, and the majority of the deer, <laughs> were, were, yeah, the majority of the deer returned back to their home range during the hunt while the dogs were still in the block. I mean, these studies are, they, uh, they support the experiences we've had. And I, and I, I completely agree with you. If we, we got these studies on our side, we should use them. You know, we should, we should make people aware of them, especially people who claim that the deer are substantially affected by dogs. It's just, it's just not true. If I had had access to this kind of information and it was, I mean, this was happening back in the day when, I mean, the, the internet was only 10 years old at the time, probably. And I wasn't real savvy on using it. Not the information isn't as available uh, as it is today, but sitting in that room, I can think of 
one, one statement that I could have made that would have ended the whole conversation. Do you believe in science-based management? Everybody agrees. We all believe in science-based management. Yes. Okay, here's my study that says that it doesn't affect them. Where's your mm -hmm. study that says that it does? Yeah. So conversation's over at that, at that point. Yeah, and I, I haven't been able to find a study that shows a substantial effect on did you look on deer's movement, deer's desired home range? Yeah, I've 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 looked. <laughs> I've I've gone through. <laughs> I've looked. <laughs> I've looked. Uh, I mean, the uh, Virginia has done a couple studies on deer hunting with hounds. I think one was called "Deer Hunting with Hounds: A Way Forward," and then there's another yeah. study that they've done. And in both of those studies, there's a long list of citations at the end of those studies. I went through every one of those studies that I could get my hands on. Some of them I couldn't get access to. Uh, either they were uh, they were unavailable. You know, they were cited mm -hmm. back then, and now they're not on the internet anymore. Or I had to pay us a, a lot of money to get access right. to it. And right. <laughs> you know, yeah. but that those were rare. The ones uh, that I couldn't get access to. I mean, I was able to to read most of them, and and I, I never found a study that showed a substantial effect on deer on, on deer's movement. And desired home range you know yeah now there's outliers in some of the studies you know but that's not um but they're outliers they're like the 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 biggest outlier that i can think of relating to deer's desired home range was there was one deer in a study that took seven days to return back to his home range that's the right. longest i've ever come across in a study that a deer stayed away from his home range after being chased with dogs now, in that same study, all the other deer returned within 24 hours, you know, so this was a rare case. I don't think I've come across any other studies that show deer staying away from their home range more than 24 hours, other than that one outlier. And these, um, these were all specific to turning dogs loose to run a deer. They're not out there chasing a hog or chasing a bear, or chasing a raccoon, or even a beagle chasing a rabbit. Yeah, I think there's a big misconception out there by people who don't know that that just having the, the presence or the intrusion of the man and the dog there is going to somehow uh, totally mess up their ability to hunt that property. It's run for the season. The mature buck is gone. And, and that's... These studies show that we're there for the purpose of finding that mature buck, turning a dog loose on him, and running him to see when he comes home. Yeah. I mean, they they put radio collars on these deer, and then they'll monitor their home ranges. So they'll figure out before the season in the fall where are these deer living at, where where what's the furthest they'll go away uh, from where they're generally at, and and where, where they – so that – that data will be used to determine their home range, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and then once they know where the deer is normally at before the season, then they can use that to determine what where the deer goes uh, after the dogs chased on there. So they, they'll intentionally turn dogs loose on these deer that are ready to college, see where they go, and then see how long it takes for them to come back, if they come back at all. And in every case, they come back. And, and, and more often than not, the deer are back within 12 hours. Almost always they're back within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just what the study, that's just what the studies show. I've, I've read studies that have been conducted in mountainous habitat in Western North Carolina. 
Uh, I've read studies that have been conducted in Virginia, Texas, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and all of them show the same thing. The, the deer is not substantially affected. You know what app I use on my phone more than any other app besides the podcast app to listen to this here podcast? I use Onyx. Onyx Maps is the most comprehensive mapping system for hunters on the market today. I use it all the time. When I was in New Mexico, I was looking at 40,000 acres of ranch that I needed to learn. I flip open Onyx and just start studying, studying the map. When I'm riding trails, I put the tracking app on. It helps me get around in strange country. I could mark water sources, food sources, bear sign, just all kinds of options within Onyx. You need to check out Onyx Maps by going to houndsmanxp.com. Click on the link on our sponsor page. You'll go right to Onyx Maps, and when you check out, enter the code HXP20, and you will get 20% off of your order. Know where you stand with Onyx. So I just had a conversation last week with a guy that uh, uh, made a post on Facebook or Instagram, I think, showing pictures of some neighborhood dogs that are running through the you know, running through in front of his, one of his cell, cell cameras. And he was all alarmed about it, asking for advice. And I know this guy fairly well. And I said, do you really think that we need to provide a platform for people to get on there and start talking about, you know, shooting dogs, you know, yeah. that, it, I, I thought it was very irresponsible for, for him to do that as, especially in the position he's in he's he's fairly influential in the in the outdoor world and um i said man let's talk about this and he goes well these dogs came through there and it ruined my hunt i said what do you mean it ruined your hunt i said it may have the the hunt the way you wanted it may have changed but my experience has been i, I mean i've spent hours and miles and i, I wouldn't even say months on foot out in wooded areas, I've seen dogs that the neighborhood strays come through, a deer comes busting by me, and then you see the the mutts come right behind them, you know, and they're like, yeah, looking for the deer. And and while I'm standing there, that doe's running through there, and all of a sudden, if you stand still, 15 minutes later, here comes a buck sneaking through and sneaking. He's actually running the doe that the deer that the dogs were chasing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And that's, that goes back to that non-science based experience, but it's, it's valuable experience that I think we get trapped in our own paradigm of how a hunt should go. And then when it doesn't go that way, we think, Oh, it screwed the whole thing up. I mean, I'm the same way with, with hunting hounds. You know, I, my ideal bear hunt is to cruise down a forest road, get this, rig strike from the box, put the dog down, get the bear up and, you know, get the cold trailing, get the, get everything lined out and then pour dogs in behind and, and stuff like that. And then you catch the bear. But just because it doesn't go that way, doesn't mean my hunt's over. Yeah. I, I, we've had numerous standards shoot deer that were chasing does in the middle of a hunt, you know, while dogs are running in the block and they're, and they'll have a, a doe come through, especially especially when the season opens and the rut's going on. We standards don't come out of the woods during the hunt because you never know what might happen. And these these bucks are 
I mean, they're not bothered by the dogs. I right. mean, they might stay bedded down if they hear dogs around. I mean, we I've seen I've been sitting on the edge of a cutter before and watched dogs walk 10 yards past a buck and the buck never move mm-hmm. and the dogs not smell them. They keep on going. I mean, they'll do that. They might stay down, but for the most part, it just doesn't affect them. I, uh, and, and I, I recommend people who, who don't deer hunt with dogs and live in an area where it's possible that dogs might be on your run a deer through your property. I'd take advantage of that. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, uh, you, some of the biggest deer that are killed in Virginia each year are killed by steel hunters who end up shooting a buck in front of dogs that were from a neighboring club, you know. And if you if you hear a pack of dogs around your property, I, I, I say go get in a tree stand. You never know what they might be running. You never know what might come through your property. Take advantage of it. And if you have a pack of dogs come through in the middle of your steel hunt, don't leave. <laughs> it's this those those deer, <laughs> those deer have heard dogs before they're not getting out of their bed unless they get jumped or unless somebody shoots around them or unless the, unless it's been a while it's been a couple hours and they're starting to feel the pressure they might get up then be patient you know that's that's what that's what i tell people take advantage of them one of the things that i've i've tried to convince uh some of my neighbors of here and i think a lot of this this energy and and griping and complaining and just absolute resistance to dogs being on property is directly related to trail cameras and especially cell phone trail cameras. You know, they, they, they're getting instant updates. You know, they're seeing this stuff. I get pictures from my neighbor all the time about dogs on his property and, and not, not just when it's my dogs, but any dog, I said, Chris, those dogs are through there every day. They are there, you know, a few times a week, and before you had cameras in your camera system, they were there. You just didn't know it. It didn't stop you from hunting. You know, don't yeah, worry. and you, you still saw a deer. Yeah. yeah. You still saw and and how many times do you think a coyote walks through there? You know, I mean it's, that's it's exactly similar. Right. You know, it's not the same thing. And I I've, I've I mean, thought about this. I've thought about this. If if the presence of a threat a predator whether it be predator or a perceived threat by deer move them out of an area imagine what's happening with coyotes wolves you know bobcats are a favorite target for the midwest uh deer hunter now because they think they're just raping and pillaging the deer herd and that's an anomaly when a bobcat kills a deer i mean that is such yeah oh yeah yeah, I, I didn't even know bobcats killed deer. I, I thought they were too small to, to, to make that happen. Well, I'd but. say your coastal bobcats probably are, but you know, you get a you get a 35-pound bruiser up here, a 30-pound bruiser from the upper Midwest. And, and that's a big cat. Yeah, they're capable. And there's actually yeah. video evidence of it, but they're not they're not the the terrorist hit squad on deer like they want it to be. I think a lot of times deer hunters just need an excuse as to why they're not killing big deer because everybody's killing big deer. Look at them on Facebook, you yeah. know? So they're mm-hmm. looking for reasons why they're not successful. And I'm not saying all this. I am 100% pro landowner rights. You know, a person's got the, should have the right to dictate what happens on their property. And I'm not advocating that we abandon that at all. But as a landowner myself, I've dealt with landowner conflicts my whole career. And when I was working, you'd always start getting these phone calls at the beginning of this, right before season came in. It's like, hey, 
my neighbor's got a tree stand 10 yards from the property line. It's facing my property. I know he's going to shoot a deer on my property. I'm just like, who's your neighbor? Uh, he's some guy from Indianapolis. Have you seen him out there before? He's like, he goes, oh, yeah, he's, he's been out there the last three weeks. I said, did you stop and talk to him? Introduce yourself, make a neighbor out of him, you know, mm -hmm. let him know that, that and build a relationship. He's like, no. And I said, until you do that, I don't care about his tree stand on his own property. Yeah. You got to communicate. That's something that, that I think, uh, could be done, done better for in, in, in every aspect of hunting, but especially in the dog hunting community, we got to, we got to communicate with each other. That's, that's important for, for the hunt itself is planning and organization and, and having those walkie talkies and being able to communicate during the hunt. But more importantly is communicating with the landowners and especially the landowners who don't dog hunt in the area you know if, if you have landowner who who owns a farm doesn't let you dog hunt but you hunt a thousand acres beside it go talk to them introduce yourself tell them you're, you're the president of the hunting club we hunt this uh what do you hunt you know find out if they hunt and if, if they're gonna you know this is more it's more important for when there's small pieces of land inside of larger tracks, you know, have communicate with those small landowners and, and ask if, if they're hunting, if they hunt on Saturdays, say they work all week and they can only hunt on Saturdays, don't hunt around them if you can. You know, most of these clubs around here got 5,000 acres at least. You can, you can communicate with these landowners and try to coordinate to where property, property rights issues don't happen. You know, because, okay, you work all week. We can hunt a different block on Saturday and stay out of your way, and, mm -hmm. and, and you'll stay out of our way, and, and, and everybody will be happy. But I think a lot of people are scared to talk to those landowners that are against dog hunting, or they might not be against dog hunting. Maybe they just don't want, they just don't want hunting to happen on their land. But we got to talk to those people. Communication is key. You know, talk to the landowners, talk to the neighboring hunting clubs, the steel hunters around you, and, and, and create a good relationship with them. Yeah, now that's if you, can, if you can create a good relationship, it, it, problems can be taken care of without law enforcement coming out there and without <laughs> things escalating. Without the game warden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, that's the that's the issue right there. Is you know when you read these studies that you put together, the ones that you cited in the back of your book. I think hunters, we just don't as houndsmen, we haven't learned how to take information and make it work to our advantage yet um, as a community as a whole. Few of us are. It's good to see that I'm going to give you a chance to practice your litigation skills here in a minute uh, <laughs> okay. as, a, as a young attorney in training. Uh, but as houndsmen, we've got to find ways to use information in our to our advantage. And uh, what will happen is these studies are out there. The biologists collecting this stuff, the only thing they care about is getting the right information, getting it in a peer-reviewed study, getting it published, getting it to their higher-ups. The reason that we as hunters need to understand this sort of stuff is because going on Facebook and complaining about your neighbor that doesn't, doesn't allow, you know, he hates hounds and stuff like that, that does zero nothing. It does nothing for our cause, but being able to go to a fish and wildlife meeting and where they're, they're looking at new laws to pass about hunting with hounds 
if you can go in there and not have a narrative that this is my right, my heritage, and I've been doing it for 40 years, and I ought to be able to keep doing it. If you can go in there and say, here's this scientific study, here's this scientific study, here's this, and, and lay that out in a logical way, undeniable way, then you're going to be victorious, or you're going to have a much better chance of, of being on the winning end of that, that debate. And but what I've seen in the past is houndsmen are really unorganized. They have no desire to find out what the truth is. And, and I've said this before, that when we talk from an emotional-based platform, we are no different than the animal rights activists. That's all they have. That's where they come from every time. And when we fall into that trick bag, we're doing exactly the same things that they're doing. So learn, understand, read, figure it out. And I want to, I, I want to wrap the show up here in a few minutes with some solutions. But one thing that, that I want to maybe do here, Austin, is I'll, put, I'll set the scenario up. I'll be the landowner from your attorney-based litigation standpoint. You're going to have the opportunity to refute what I say. Okay, so we'll have a little debate here. I, I just bought 15 acres and it's it's bordered by your 5,000 acre hunting club. And I like to deer hunt and I'm from I'm from the upper Midwest and I just got transferred down into Southeast Virginia um, by my company and I bought this 15 acres and and I'm going to deer hunt on it. And the only way I know how to hunt is with cell trail cell cameras and and tree stands and things like that. And, and so I'm sitting out here in my tree stand and here I, I hear the hounds coming. Here they come. Deer run by me, dogs run across my property that I paid for and they've run my hunt for the day. And now the game warden is called and, and where do we go from here? Mr. Deer Hunter, you run my hunt today. Well, that's an that's an accident that's gonna happen when you hunt 15 acres surrounded by 5,000 acres of dog hunting woods. It's not something that we intended to do. We didn't turn we didn't we're not gonna turn dogs loose on your 15 acres, and we do everything we can to prevent the dogs from crossing that 15 acres. You know, we have GPS collars, we monitor these dogs, and and we're able to tone the dogs to to correct their behavior and every now and then we're just not able to prevent the dogs from crossing property lines and it's an accident that's that's uncommon especially it's becoming more and more uncommon with gps technology and stuff but it's something that we will continue to try to get better at and prevent and if i'm talking to this individual specifically I would, I mean, I would apologize for for the dogs crossing his land, but I would also tell him that it's Apologies a reality. Don't cut it here, man. I I only yeah. get a few hours a week to hunt, and yeah. you know, last week I had a mature buck on my on my cell phone camera, <clears throat> and I saw your dogs come through, and I haven't seen him for four days. Well, you only have you only, I mean, you're only hunting fifteen acres. A mature buck doesn't stay on fifteen. That's all acres I got. That's all I've season. got. Well, I'm just saying that there's reasonable alternatives as to why that you haven't seen that buck in front of your trail camera recently. You just can I hunt your five thousand? 
Yes, you're since more than I've welcome. Got, since I've only that's got where 15. I was. That's where I was going to get to next is come hunting with us. You know, somebody like that who buys 15 acres. First thing we're going to do, if you're if you seem like a decent person and respectful, we're going to invite you up to the hunting club. Come up to the hunting club and eat dinner with us. Meet the guys. See if let's develop a relationship. And if if you want to come hunting, come hunting. You know, are we going to hunt, hunt with hounds? With are we going to hunt with hounds? Uh, you can, can come hunt with hounds, or you can become a member of the hunting club and and hunt with hounds when you want to and steal hunt. We do we do both. Well, I don't. You know, where I come from, hunting with hounds is unethical. It's it gives you an unfair advantage. Well, why do you think hounds? Yeah hunting with hounds is unethical how would you define ethics well i mean it's something that i mean i see it all the time these these dogs are running down the through there and these trucks are lined up along the side of the road and and guys are standing out there with with shotguns and rifles and as soon as a deer pops out on the road they're firing shots down the road and wounding deer and and just all kinds of stuff i mean well, you said be eth ethical sitting in a tree stand and and hunting deer that way. Yeah. Well, if you're going to claim that dog hunting is unethical, then we at least need to know what you mean by unethical. We don't if you can't give us a definition of ethics, then we don't know how what your standard is here. So what what's your standard of ethics? And then maybe we can see how you think dog hunting doesn't fit into that standard. I define ethics as a set of principles or values used to guide one's decisions. So if that's how you define ethics, then we need to know what your principles and values are that you use to guide your hunting. And if dog hunting, how dog hunting doesn't fit into those values and principles for you. It's my position that the most common values used in deer hunters is what I call the deer hunters ethics. And my book are shared by dog hunters as well, you know. Respect the land, follow laws and regulations, respect the animal, respect the other hunter. But how can you respect the animal Pass when you're on. turning when you're turning 15 hounds loose? I mean, that's no respect for the animal. When I'm when I'm out there one on one, I'm the I'm the only predator in the game at that point. And it's between me and the deer. It's not between me well, and the deer and these these dogs that are gonna run every deer in the county. Well, we, res we respect the animal by, by taking good shots, good clean shots that are going to kill the deer efficiently and using all the meat up. We don't waste any other deer. And also, I would say that it's not necessarily, you're not completely one-on-one -on -one with this deer. I, I would I feel like it's a safe bet to say you're probably in a tree stand. You're probably using a gun or bow, some kind of mm -hmm. weapon. Um, you probably got camouflage on. Do you use well, sure. trail cameras? Or do you have a food plot in this 15 acres? All of these things provide you with an advantage that I think dogs give us too. You know, we have we everybody has an advantage over the game that's being pursued, unless you're going after that animal with your bare hands, no shoes on, and tackling it to the ground. Other any other, um, but dogs are no more of an advantage for deer, deer hunters as the tree stand, the long range rifle, the food plot, the trail camera, all those things give us an advantage. Dogs don't give us any more of an advantage. We're able to follow all the laws and regulations, respect the animal being pursued and land and hunters. And we abide by the fair chase principle, all things that other deer hunters do. And which is why I think deer hunting with hounds is ethical. You know, so if you're going to claim deer hunting with hounds is unethical, first we need to know what you mean by unethical. 
what you, what your definition of ethics is and what are your values and principles that you use to guide your life um, underneath that ethical umbrella. And if you can't tell us that, then we're kind of at a loss for the discussion here. You know, um, um, so be more specific. I mean, you said you're not familiar with deer hunting with hounds. You just moved up here from from northern United States. So what it's I'm one of those damn Yankees. You, I moved down here and I'm never coming back. Yeah. Yeah. So how could you have it, any experiences with it in the first place? So given that, I'd say try it out. Come to the club. Eat dinner with us. Hang out with us. Play poker with us. And then come hunting with us. You know? Yeah. All right. That there's a there's a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah, there's a that that conversation right there. If you can do that with a cool head, then you know you got a chance here. When would you yeah. bring in? When when would you bring in the the data, the studies, the things like that? If you were litigating this case, you know, say you've got you've been hired to represent someone who is charged for uh, trespassing. And um, uh, when would you bring in the data or would you at all? When they specifically make an objection related to the studies. So most people, they say it's unethical. Well, then you got to ask them, well, wh why do you think it's unethical? And if one of the reasons they give for saying it's unethical is because it, it, push, it, it alters the deer's behavior, it alters their desired home range, and it's, it's unethical to cause an animal to do, do that. Um, then you can point to these studies that show that's not the case. Um, mm -hmm. Also, if they if they claim that that dogs have an effect on deer reproduction, there's a study in my book that shows that's not the case. Right. You know, once the, once they bring up those specific objections, see that the problem is most people don't know what they mean when they say something is unethical or ethical. They they haven't thought about it enough and boiled it down to what that actually means. Which is so, the purpose. The, that's a purpose why we produce this podcast so that when a hunter engages in this debate and he says something off the cuff, like hunting with hounds is fair chase. What do you mean? You know, exactly. what do you, what do you mean by fair chase? We yeah. as houndsmen have to be able to define that. We've got to know what we're talking about. If we're going to say that it's ethical, then we've got to know what ethics means and, and be able to back that up. And when I see studies like this, it puts tools in our kit to be able to prove our point, but we can't get tripped up all the time. And that's where I see the failure of, of I mean, I sat in multiple Fish and Wildlife Council, Natural Resources Commission meetings and all this sort of stuff. And everybody wants to go up to the mic and pound on the podium and say, I've been doing this forever. This isn't right. This is America. I've got rights under the Constitution, blah, blah, blah. But they never get down to a reasonable conversation. There's just a guy or two that, that can do that in a crowd of, of you know, hundreds of houndsmen. And it, that's what it takes. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, when somebody when somebody says it's unethical, or it's not fair chase, don't immediately respond throw, throwing your opinion out there. You need to first figure out what they mean oftentimes if you attempt to try to figure out what they mean or try to get them to define what they mean and understand it themselves their argument starts to crumble you know it, as you break it down but you got to break these arguments down you got to know what you mean know what you're saying and, and and have and have these studies to support you if they try to if they try to break the argument down into specific objections have these studies to to 
to counter those. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the reasons I wrote this book is because that I, I hear, I, I see so much on Facebook, especially Facebook with uh, houndsmen. <laughs> yeah. Houndsmen run, responding to, to steel hunters and anti dog hunters in ways that just, it just doesn't make sense. You know, right. you need to, you need to think about it a little harder. And, and, and I hope this book gives some, some of these deer hunters, the tools to respond to these objections, to respond to these common arguments, especially that it's unethical, it's not fair chase. I mean, those should be easy conversations. I mean, not e they're complicated conversations because it's 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 a they're vague ter terminology, but it should it should be easy to determine if you if you're talking with somebody who knows what they're talking about after two questions. What do you mean by fair chase? What do you mean by ethics? And if they can't tell you that, then it's almost hard to have an a, a debate at that point. You right. Know? Right. And it's it's one of those deals. Again, you've got to know what those definitions are before you ever step into this thing. It's like it's like you're not going to walk in the ring with a professional boxer if you haven't trained a little, at least a little bit and expect to walk out of there without it, your face smashed. You yeah. know, so when you walk into this this conversation, be prepared, be armed with the truth, be armed with the facts but also have the the knowledge and the wisdom to know that a lot of times they don't care about the facts they've yeah. they've they're emotionally charged they think they've had their hunt run for the day my advice for that is don't engage them at all just yeah you got you, you can't you got to have a cool head you cannot blow up and these arguments and 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 they shouldn't be called arguments they should be debates you know if it if it it escalates into an argument you should really stop talking yeah stop talking but keep a cool head stay open-minded you know that you're going to run into those people who who don't care you know i'm against dog hunting and, and i'm never going to be for it no matter what you tell me you can't do anything with those people but there are a lot of people out there who just don't completely understand they have an opinion based on false pretenses so if you run into those people and they're respectful, they have an open mind, then you should too. Yeah. C try to understand how they're thinking about it. Maybe they don't understand exactly how it works. And if that's the case, explain it to them. You know, take 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 10 minutes out of your day and explain it to them how it works exactly. Maybe point to some of these studies. Tell them to read my book if they want to learn more about it. But there are people out there who aren't aggressively against dog hunting. They just never experienced it. And that there's nothing out there for them to learn about it. So take the time and be open-minded with those individuals, at least take yeah, them hunting. Think, you know, I've had one of my best friends, he, he goes deer hunting with hounds with me every year. He goes uh, once or twice with me every year and he didn't start until, until we met in college and he absolutely loves it. He's been steel hunting his whole life and he looks forward to coming down to Southeast Virginia every year. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man, it's uh, in this day and age, it's like people, um, uh, we just don't want to move off of our, our paradigms. You know, we get, we get caught in this paradigm paralysis and, and we, we're, we entrench ourselves on some of the dumbest issues and, and it's polarizing and that's what drives it. So, you know, when I say don't engage there, there's going to be nothing that is going to push the abolishment of hunting with dogs more than you losing your cool 
and end up with your mugshot on the evening news because it's not going to say Joe Smith got arrested for beating this guy up. It's going to say deer hunter attacks landowner in Southeast Virginia. That's what it, yeah. you know, deer dogger, you know, something like that. Houndsman. So it's not going to be productive. And, and that's what I've taken away from your book, Austin, is, is you have written this thing that is non-offensive. It's non-challenging. It's just factual. You, you did a great job of putting the intrinsic values in there. You know, the values of hunting with kids and family and, and all this mm -hmm. stuff. I want to talk about some solutions that we as houndsmen should be looking for. And especially the, the, you guys have got a unique situation. You've got clubs, you know, hunting clubs and the coon hunters used to have clubs and they're, they're kind of dwindled, but let's talk about some real solutions for, uh, you know, playing this game effectively in our communities. And I'll just start off. You know, Mark Booth runs Southern Hound Hunting Magazine in, in out of Vidalia, Georgia. And uh, I went down there for a deer hunt and we uh, had a great day of hunting. We took some veterans down there and uh, Mark laid this, set this whole thing up. He had landowner buy-in, he had community buy-in, and, and he was showcasing the fact that his club was taking America's wounded veterans or America's veterans on a hunt. So he's showing that his club was giving back to the community. So let's talk about some of those options that these clubs can be, you know, steps that can be taken to be more successful and be more accepted in their communities. Yeah. So, uh, the wounded warrior, uh, wounded veteran projects that, that, that stuff goes on around my area too. I think Central Hill Hunting Club hosts a number of, of veterans in the Alawite County for a hunt each year. I think it's Central Hill Hunting Club and Orbit Hunting Club. Uh, Freedom Hunters um, is Freedom Hunters is an organization that we're I'm sorry? involved. Freedom Hunters is the organization that we're involved with. I know we they do deer hunts yeah. in Virginia and we do mm -hmm. stuff in in South Georgia and. Uh, yeah, it's been highly successful. So I'm sure ahead. that's probably the same organization too. They, they they do a similar thing around home. Um, that's that's a great that's a great event that that should continue to happen. Other than that, you know, just be involved in the community. Yeah, go around to your landowners and 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 people who just live in the area, and take some meat to them. You know, take some deer meat to them and, and offer offer them something like that. Just go up there and introduce yourself. Hey, I'm. I'm so-and-so, the hunt master at, at the club. Uh, here's my number. Here's my name. If you have any problems, call me. But you got to develop these relationships and you got to communicate. And other than communicating and developing a relationship with your community, just follow the laws and regulations. You know, the, don't do anything stupid. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, <laughs> tr don't trespass. The deer is not worth it. Uh, dog's not worth it. And we're all we're all setting an example for dog hunters across the nation with it, with everything we do. So continue to follow laws and regulations. Don't trespass. Don't shoot where you can't shoot and, and hunt, hunt legally and develop a relationship with your community. You know, uh, yeah. The, Some the clubs that that, yeah, the clubs that, that the clubs that fall apart are the ones that, that lose touch with the local landowners and then they eventually lose land 
And then next thing you know, the only thing they're hunting is, is leased timber land. And then that timber company doesn't want dog hunters anymore. So there's no longer a club there. The attitude within those clubs can be infectious, one good or bad. You know, I've seen mm -hmm. several clubs over the years where they became an exclusive club where, you know, they go behind their closed doors and they get this attitude that the whole world's against us and they're secretive. They don't get involved in community and, and everyone that I've ever seen do that has failed miserably. Whereas yep. the clubs that like in Indiana, you can enroll your organization in an adopt a highway program where you can go out every, every hound hunter has got a pickup truck and you pick a day in June or July or May or when the weather's good or whatever and go out and clean up a roadside ditch. You've got obligations. You pick up some trash. Now you get a sign up there that said this highway is sponsored by so-and-so hound hunting club, hunting club. Yep. You know, that's all good image. And then, and then you, you stay engaged and you make sure that, that you don't just take meat to the, to the neighbors. You invite them up on a night that you're having a, a banquet dinner, you know, just invite them up to, Hey, we're having a community night up at the club next week oh, and we're inviting you to come up and when when people start putting those faces together you know maybe they they have a harder time you know shooting darts at you or trying to shoot holes in your boat you know clubs need to start doing things like uh buying livestock at the local 4-h you know this lamb was bought by vidalia hunting club or whoever it is you know bear branch houndsman any way you can get involved in the community, I, I recommend doing it. You know, like you said, invite people up to the hunting club. There's plenty of clubs around around the area, including ours, that invite landowners and people that don't hunt with us. You know, they just come yeah. up there and eat dinner with us and meet people and get along. I mean, that's how it should be. It's 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 a it's a, it's a communal activity, and it doesn't it doesn't exclude the people who aren't hunting in the hunting club. It, it includes right. the people surrounding the hunting club, and everybody's got to be a part of it, even if you don't hunt. At least have somebody's phone number to call if you have an issue or a problem, you know, and, and let's communicate. Right. But when, when, when silence takes over an area, it's inevitable. The demise of, of that club is, in, is inevitable and it just, you got to communicate. It's, it's important. And, and along the same lines as, as, uh, as this is I want to urge houndsmen everywhere to take advantage of the GPS collars that we have nowadays. I don't think, I, I don't see many people nowadays not using Garmin GPS collars, but we should be using that technology with the advancements in technology that we've had over the last 15 years. It's become much easier to prevent property trespass, dog-related trespass, and we should be taking every advantage, every opportunity we can to take advantage of that technology and prevent it. And that'll also help ease relationships in the community you know we're, we're taking advantage of the tools that we have to try to prevent any problems and we're also developing a relationship with the community and that's that's just what you got to do as as a club to to stay stay alive and 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 continue to, to hunt and we all know i mean as much as we spend time as we spend out there hunting we know what landowners are volatile towards houndsman and so if i'm watching this on my gps my experience hunting you know last three times i hunted there the dogs ended up over there and i had to call them back or whatever you know 
I can use my Garmin at that point. I know which way that I know where it's going. You know, I've seen this. We've been doing this for years and that's a new landowner. Those deer always run that way or that coon always runs that way or the bear or whatever. And now the guy that owns a property doesn't want my dogs here. So yeah, you can, you can simply, you can simply do a recall. It takes a little more effort to teach it, but Heath Hyatt talks about that all the time on his podcast, the journey about training techniques. So if you're, there's no excuse, it's, it's capable of being done. I mean, when you can send, uh, um, a police dog on a full send at a bad guy and stop that dog halfway down and put him in a down. You can teach a hound to return to you on a tone. Yeah, we we have some some really good, well trained uh, deer dogs and and at our hunting club. I mean, we have they'll they'll come to load up, hop on the tailgate, get in the box. Don't even have to put your hands on them. And I've seen. They're all tone broke. There's no excuse for them not to be, in my opinion, at this point with, with Garmin GPS collars. They should be tone broke so you can call them off. But I've seen deer on a full uh, – dogs on a full sprint across a field on a track. And Houndsman presses the tone beat, beep, beep. The dog slams on brakes, turns around, and comes straight to the truck. That's how – You're going to take the drive out of those dogs, Austin. Those dogs, they're, they're... – they won't chase deer like that next time if you if you start toning them and it's it's not it's not not very often now we, and and I will say we never ever shock a dog I I know some people who who have done it and do but we never shock our dogs we tone we tone break them and there you go you very tone, rarely you do the tone breaking away from the hunting situation yeah so you but it's 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 in it's a tool that's there. If like in that case where the deer was running straight to a property, we know we can't hunt and we have an opportunity to prevent the dogs from crossing that property line. And if you can do it, I mean, that's, that's prevent the, the dog trespass, but it doesn't happen very often. You're not, it's very hard to get in a position like that where, where you're looking at a long, a big field and you can, you can tone break the dogs and the dog stops and sees the truck and knows exactly right. where to go. But but they're all tone break broke. So when they're not hunting, you know, they're not, they're not on a track. We can tone them. They'll, they'll come, come to your voice. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, if, if that's, if you can, I think there's no excuse for houndsmen in the, in the deer world to, to not have their dogs at least tone broke so they can get them out of a place quicker. And, and if worst case scenario, I know you say it's not good for the dogs, but worst case scenario, if you have to break them off of a track so they don't go on somebody's property. Yeah. Yeah. I was saying that facetiously. That's the kind of feedback I hear all the time. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, you can't correct a dog around a tree. Ah, oh, you can't correct them for this. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you can. You sure we you do. can. You do it. We do it all the yeah. time. I mean, training your hound is no different than training a police dog, a Labrador, a bird dog you know, to woe, to stop, to do all this other stuff. It's just simply something that hasn't been traditionally done. And going back to the old timer and I could speak cause I'm getting to that age, you know, there's just some things that, that we get entrenched in and we think it's bad. I mean, 25 years ago, it was, it was a bad thing to pet a hunting dog, you know, don't pet that dog. He's a hunting dog. And now we see people whose hounds are living in the house and they're catching lions every day. And, and yeah. you know it's some of the old mindsets have been debunked i mean we used to 
we used to drill people holes in the tops of people's heads to relieve headaches. We don't do that anymore. You know, <laughs> it's not a, it's yeah. not a good practice. So, I mean, my, my great granddad, he used to, they used to turn dogs out and then just go back home after the hunt and the dogs didn't have collars on. They would come to the front porch of the house at, at, at night and he'd, he'd go out there at night and they'd be sitting on the front porch. He'd put them in the kennel. Well, but you can't, up- you can't do that nowadays, and there's no reason to do something like that with the collars we have. But but it just shows you how much things change over time. That was just, you know, three generations ago. That brings up something very interesting because a lot of the studies that you included in your book, in the, in the synopsis of the study, they talk about, you know, the effects of deer and blah, 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 and how to – one of the studies that, that – um, I really dove into was the best management management practices and current status of deer dog hunting in the Southeast. Okay. So that study was largely about it's happening. What are we going to do with it for the future? And, and we talked about, you know, some things that clubs can do, but all of those studies talk about cultural acceptance. The world's changing folks. And if we don't figure out how to change with it and stay in front of it and think strategically for the future, then we're going to find ourselves without, without being able to turn dogs loose. And there's a, Eric Hoffer made a statement that I've always looked at when I was in leadership and different things, but it just served me very well. It said, it goes like this goes, the learners will inherit the earth while the learned, the learned, will inherit a world that no longer exists. Find themselves beautifully prepared to, to deal with a world that no longer exists. Meaning that people you that learn, behind. keep mm-hmm. on learning. And, and if you think you've got to the place where nobody can tell you anything, the world's changing every day, you're gonna find yourself in a world you don't recognize. Yeah, I completely agree. You never can stop learning. Especially in the career I'm going into, the law changes. Every By the year. minute, <laughs> you know, every yeah. every minute the law's changing, court rulings, different things like that. I think people are going, especially the folks in Virginia, people in your club. Um, I think you're going to be an asset for the future houndsman, Austin. I really do. It's it's really a, an anomaly to find someone who you know just as evidenced by your book, you, you got down in that thing and you wrote something that, that is going to be useful for anybody. Fish and wildlife managers ought to read your book um, to get an idea of who we are and where we come from and then apply that and see that not every houndsman out there, don't paint us with broad brushes. You know, a guy like you with, with your skills and, and your training as an attorney, you're going to be valuable. I hope so. I want to see my grandkids shoot a deer in front of dogs, you know, and I, I want it to continue. I, I hope it does. I'm going to do everything I can to see that happen. For sure. Well, Austin, thanks for taking time. Tell our audience where they can find your book and uh, help put a help put a starving college student through law school. <laughs> yeah, it's called Deer Hunting with Hounds, a Southern Tradition, and you can find it on Amazon. Um if you, if you do buy a book from it from Amazon, uh, leave a review for me, please. I haven't got I haven't had many 
reviews. I've had I've sold some books, but not many people leave reviews. So leave a review for me. Tell people what you think about the book. And you can also find me on Instagram or Facebook if you'd like to buy books from me in person. They're a little bit cheaper in person, and I can I can try to make that happen. And if you read the book and want to reach out, reach out on Facebook or Instagram, and we can talk about what you what you think about it. I, I love to hear how what people think about the book, and and I'm always willing to talk. So. And uh, Mr. Powell, thanks for having me on the podcast. I've I've really enjoyed this. It was a good conversation. Yep, you're you're more than welcome, Austin. Keep up the good work. I just want to make sure that everybody got your your taglines, your handles on Facebook and Instagram. Where do they find you there? Yeah, on Facebook, you can probably just type in my name's Austin Tomlin, T O M L I N, and on Instagram, my my name. I think it's a tomlin 70 or it's, it's either a tomlin 70 or a tomlin 15 i'm not i need to double check that but either way find me on facebook is probably the easiest way to get in touch with me i would recommend that direct send me a direct message if you want to talk and i'll give you my number and we can talk on the phone sounds good man sounds good well thanks for tuning in everybody to this week's episode of the houndsman xp podcast Hopefully this conversation was uh, beneficial, entertaining, but most of all, you know, make sure you're keeping a cool head out there. Think progress, you know, think, think into the future. Don't think about today. Think about where we're headed. Uh, I'm always glad to have, you know, some deer, deer dog guys on the podcast and, and let everybody know we're not just thinking about bears and coon hunting and lion hunting and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity out there. I've only participated in one deer hunt with hounds. I had a blast. I saw a side of a bunch of houndsmen that uh, that it just opened my eyes. You know, I went into that situation with some preconceived ideas. At the end of the day, I saw guys that were just as passionate, conscientious about what they do as what I do. And uh, if we're going to make this thing work into the future, we've got to break out of our own little tribes and go experience deer dogs and running rabbits with beagles and chasing a bear and you know it's not just a one-dimensional world and we're never going to make a bigger impact until we come together as a hound hunting community and back our brethren whether they're chasing deer bobcats or whatever they're doing so make sure you check out our all our stuff over on our website man it's we're loaded up there we're selling the selling the fire out of those join or die hoodies right now i want to tell everybody a little bit about that so i'm more than happy to uh tell you that that the profits for that shirt and that sweatshirt are going directly to crw and coloradans for responsible wildlife management initiative 91 out there the animal extremists are coming after uh, science-based wildlife management there, making it an emotional issue and trying to outlaw lion and bobcat hunting out there. And that's going to have a wide ranging effect on all wildlife management in the state of Colorado. And don't get caught up and don't think that it doesn't affect you because it's Colorado, because Colorado is just a launching pad. There's already designs in Montana, Nevada, and New Mexico that they're going to carry this fight on to. We're already starting to see some of it coming up in New Mexico now. So help us, help them, help your brothers in Colorado and take a big, take a big bite out of this thing. 
that uh, full assault on our hunting rights. So go to houndsmanxp.com. It's the Joiner Die Collection. We'd love to see you purchase one of those and help Colorado Houndsman. All right, Nick, till next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Houndsman XP podcast. This is Fair Chase.